time for Down to Earth. Hello, Kurt, how are you? Eddie, I'm good. I'm we, about to go on holiday, baby. Yeah, we need a sting, don't we? <laughs> you know, we had one before, but it was, I don't know. It, it was sponsored. I think it, it had a little sponsor with yep. a, a vodka. <laughs> yeah, vodka company, which didn't feel like it somehow fit with our Down to Earth. No. Urban environmental justice vibe, I don't know. No. They were good to sponsor us, though. Um, we've got a special guest today, Steph Clark. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And Steph works for National Parks in New South Wales, and you also run uh, an initiative called Wild Wild Inner West. Yeah, 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 I do. So um, it's a project that's uh, supported by the Greater Sydney Local Land Services, and basically it's trying to connect young people between the ages of 18 and 35 to their local environment uh, in the Inner West. Yeah. Do you feel like there is a disconnect with that age group? Well, I definitely think... One of the elements that there is is that young people of that age are so stressed um, and, like, they don't necessarily... When they're renters, they're moving between different places and stuff, so they don't necessarily have, like, a connection to the local community that is stable and, like, is long-term. So it's really good to connect them to, like, the landscape around them so they know who else is there and, like, um, what what species are on there too. Yeah. And it's kind of like one of those things, Eddie, that um, feels like for a conversation we can have this morning with Steph... It's just about kind of the city as a wild space, right? That we tend to have this distinction between the urban environment as this kind of, you know, human construction, blah, 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 and all the wildlife, you know, is wild spaces mm. elsewhere, wilderness is elsewhere. But part of the vibe with the whole wild, wild inner west that we'll talk about and with the citizen science work that you're doing too that we can talk about um, after a break is just this idea of reconnecting with the city as a kind of wild space and thinking about all the biodiversity that we're living with even in the inner west in a kind of concrete jungle as it were yeah and really i guess um when people think about the species that are around them or in the cities they think of like the pigeons they think of like the possums they get into like their backyards and stuff but actually there's so many different like threatened species that exist in our cities and they're really really biodiverse as well so like our cities um Mostly there's ideas of why it is, but obviously cities were built on fertile lands and there's loads of different types of like little micro habitats that exist in the cities as well. So cities are really, really rich with different species. And like in the inner west itself, um, there's like powerful owls that exist. Sometimes they're, you know, they're hiding in hollows and stuff and they can, they can. What's the difference between a powerful owl and a not a regular owl. Yeah. So powerful owls are, are really, really huge um, and they like exist in uh, like hollows and trees uh, and they're really important. They like a, they control the environment around them. They're really, really important species. Um, and there's also thoughts that there's long-nosed bandicoots um, in the in the Greenway where Greenway is in, yeah. um, like around Leichhardt as well, which is really cool because they haven't been sighted in the area for ages. Yeah. And yeah. is it like, and that's right. So like you've mentioned the owls, like what other things if people are, you know, out and about in the inner west, might they come across that they might not necessarily expect this? Like you say, there's just all the conversation about urban wildlife seems to either be focused on like, you know, ibises or yeah, pigeons or whatever but like what yeah, other yeah. kinds of things uh yeah. so there's like loads of bats and stuff as well uh there's micro bats which are really cool they're like a huge variety in sizes and different types and stuff but um there's some roosting sites um in some of like the the rainwater drains in the inner west which is really cool because it's like so many different parts of these species are existing in the cities around us and having loads of their different like 
the life stages of their life in our cities. And if you're not looking, you just don't think mm. about it. But they're really important uh, spots to protect. I never realised that having bats in the city was quite unique to Sydney until speaking to people who weren't from this city. And they're like, and what are these? Yeah. <laughs> ah! yeah. yeah. And yeah, are there particular, I mean, you've kind of mentioned like the Hawthorne Canal, you've mentioned the rainwater, like are there particular, I guess, sites that, you think are really important as like biodiversity sites in our urban environment that we ought to be thinking about more like that? Like, is it kind of just left over, you know, creeks and canals or, or, or what's, yeah, what are the key kind of environments that we should be looking out for? So in Sydney, we're really lucky because we've got national parks that are completely surrounding us. It's so special. And actually, I'm going to go up into one of them uh, later on the weekend. They're really important. And of course, National Parks Association loves them. But it's really good to value loads of different types of environmental types in our cities as well. So of course, like remnant bushlands around the place are really important and it's good to preserve um, them as they are. But people's backyards are really important as well. So it's cool to like plant native species there too. Um, and you can see, if you if you look, look out, you can see loads of different uh, animals using them. So I did a citizen science project that was looking at um, the way that water dragons use our backyards. And you can really create um, water dragon friendly backyards with like use of water and plant species and stuff that also helps like different birds as well. So every single bit of nature in our cities is really important because they connect up into this big network. Um, but something that's really important as well that in Sydney we kind of ignore are like the interstitial, like the messy spaces. So you can actually get really biodiverse uh like little nuggets of space on like the the sides of railway lines and like yeah. in like abandoned warehouses and stuff like that kind of the ignored spaces that's where like animals go in and they take over their spot and they start to create really um like functioning ecosystems and dynamic ecosystems that like are multi-layered and have loads of different stuff happening but the problem is is that in sydney we really like to take control of our natural spaces. We like to have perfectly manicured lawns. We like to have things that feel safe. And so it's a shame if you get rid of those because those are really valuable spaces as well. But in Germany, yeah. in Berlin, actually, yeah. they really like their messy spaces. So I did the the good old trip to Berlin and Bergheim and along the way as well I was like this is so cool you've got these big parklands but they've got really messy grasses and they've got really messy like um trees and like but they're really important ecosystems and it's really good to keep those messy spaces yeah because yeah it does feel as though when we're talking about nature in the city there's some bits of it that we seem to really embrace and others that we really seem to want to control like you say and you know try and sort of exclude from the urban environment yeah. Mm. And what do you, do you think, that what's going on in Australia with that? Do you think we do have a particular attitude to these things that is different to other places that you've read about or visited when you've been doing this work? Yeah, totally. It's, I don't, I don't quite know what it is, but it seems like as soon as you've got environment overlaid with people in our cities, that it becomes almost like, like looking at psychology as well and the way that we interact with like species and the environment around us. Like you've got your ibis that people don't really like. It's a native mm -hmm. species, not necessarily from the city, but it's from um, the Murray-Darling wetlands and it's come in and people just don't like it because it's like quite ugly and offensive and they don't mm. like the way that it disturbs <laughs> them and it makes them yeah. uncomfortable. But if you're starting to create ecosystems that are functioning, you need to let those like animals in and you need to have like a mm. like more of a real connection with animals around you. Yeah. Yeah. Well Do you have ideas? 
Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, it's um, because you're right. It does. It feels like it's changed to me. Like that. I think maybe even it feels like when I was a kid growing up in the burbs, there was just a bit more of that kind of vacant leftover mm. space that hadn't quite been developed that was like that, and that kids would play in and all that sort of stuff. But we've kind of got less and less of it. It's just all that pressure that we know we've got on public spaces and on. Mm. You know, anything that's left over, it's just somebody's looking at it with dollar signs in their eyes trying yeah. to figure out how to... Development, development, develop it, develop it. Yeah. So, yeah, trying to figure out how you allow, you know, that to happen. Yeah. Don't shut the gates, but you also think about biodiversity in that context. It's a big challenge. And then when you're weighing up the different things that you're going to conserve as well, you often think it's important to preserve, like, the pristine landscapes. It's important to remember as well that Australia has been Aboriginal land forever and it has always been managed as well. So the ideas of pristineness, I'm not sure, like it's, it's a bit of a mm. clunky one anyway, but it is important to preserve national parks. It is important to conserve those other areas that are like, yeah, in your cities, those mm. vacant lots. Well, we might uh, come back Get after a, a song sun. and talk about what people can actually do to start recording and observing this biodiversity that they're living with. Alrighty. Right in the middle of Down to Earth with Professor Kurt Iverson. This week we've got a special guest, Steph Clark. And something we like to do on Down to Earth is talk about what we can do to solve some of these <laughs> yes, issues. Yes, ma'am, we do. And so Steph has, in her job title, she's a citizen science officer. Um, so maybe in the second half we can actually break down what that is because that's really a way for people to get involved in actually documenting and protecting biodiversity, um, among other things. So tell us about citizen science, Steph. What's it all about? Great. Um, citizen science is so cool. Um, if you haven't, if you, after this, definitely look it up more. But basically it's like legitimising the work that the everyday like citizen or community member can do and the knowledge that they hold as well. So it's like so many people know like so many different types of birds in their local neighbourhood and the people that are actually on the ground often know way more that's happening or like the little micro changes that are happening than say scientists that can get there um, less frequently. So it's kind of using that power. Um, and so everyone comes together and so they can like, look at animal behaviour. So I did one that was looking at water dragons and seeing if their behaviour changed with urbanisation. And it did. They became bolder in our cities, which is really cool. Huh. So we did a whole lot of stuff like approached them, see how saw how far we could get, uh, close we could get to them um, before they'd run away and measure yeah. stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, it's using people power to yeah. collect data. All right. So yeah. just like crowdsourcing science effectively, right? Crowdsourcing that... science, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. And through that you can have more like education as well. Um, but you can also use it for like activism too, which is really cool. So there's some people that have used it to stop logging in Victoria. Yeah. So, yeah, could you tell us a bit more about that? Like, I mean, are there particular projects that you've got up and running at the moment that you want to tell us about um, in this space? What kind of things are you out there trying to document and observe um, with some of the projects? So um, another one that I'm doing is looking at pollinators in southwest Sydney. So it's looking at they're trying to restore the Cumberland Plain woodland. So with that, we want to see whether there's uh, more pollinators that are coming back to the space as well. So we're going out and collecting a whole lot of butterflies and natives, bees, and big butterfly nets on the weekend, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one in the inner west that we might be planning to do in the future. Uh, so Wild Wild Inner West has been talking to the Cooks River Alliance and we want to do something around uh, the health of the Cooks River. So it might look at um, 
like the the fish species of mullet and see like their journey or the health mm-hmm. of them and yeah study that yeah and like you say it's been really effectively used not just in a kind of neutral sciencey sense but sometimes in a real kind of activism sense too to actually show where natures are and to sort of protect them so like one i'm familiar with is the there's a koala tracker mm. project that actually proved that there were these habitats up in Queensland that were actually still koala habitats, which meant that they then couldn't be developed um, for kind of new housing on the fringe of Brisbane and stuff. But yeah, are there any other cool examples that you've come across of where, yeah, people have used that as a tool to intervene in a policy process uh, and try and, you know, protect or preserve some biodiversity? Yeah. So there was that group in Victoria that um, they were they noted down where there was illegal logging happening in uh, rainforests in Victoria. And they were also looking at what different threatened species were there too. And from my knowledge, they they blocked uh, logging from Vic Forest, which is great. There was also another group, a student uh, at Sydney Uni, who was looking at how bees were affected by um, coal dust and looking at coal mining in the Pilaga as mm-hmm. well. I don't know the outcome of that, but it just like shows that people could come together and as long as the project is like based and if you if you use good research methods and tools which are like really publicly accessible online then you can you, you yourself can do this yeah. yeah and so listen have you got like i put you on the spot but have you got like a top three or four or five like c- current projects or sites that people could even go to have a look at to find out a bit more about the citizen science stuff and um, what they might be able to participate in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there's, it kind of happens on a different, a couple of different levels. So there's digital sphere. So there's a cool website called New South Wales Bionet. So there you can upload anything that you see. So say you go along the place um, and you see like something that you know is an endangered species or you just see like an IBIS, you can log a pin drop of where you've seen it and it uploads it to this like uh, statewide resource. And like council workers and policymakers actually do use that data yeah. to use like for planning methods, like for, for their planning or decision making. Um, you can also use this cool app called iNaturalist and you just take a photo of a species. If you don't know what it is, you could literally just say bird and yeah. then it's logged and it's authorised by, um, by a scientist later on, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah right. so you've got the photo and then you've got the pin, pin drop. And then there's stuff like the Australian um, backyard bird count, which is done every October, and that's just seeing, like, across Australia what kind of bird life is happening. And um, it's, like, during a one-week period. And so from there, you can, they can do comparisons of, like, if there's changes, if there's increases, if there's, if there's decreases. So there's loads and loads and loads of different scales of stuff that you can do. Yeah. We can link them as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on. So that's it. Shout out to my kids who, you know, keep trying to tell me they're seeing owls in the parks at the back of our places. We can get the app on their phone. They can take some pictures. Yeah. Get it logged. Beautiful. And what about any, um, like, events coming up that you uh, are going to be involved in around here that people could uh, turn up to and get involved in? So, so we've got one more event for Wild, Wild Inner West. It, we've had, like urban ecology, pub talks and stuff. We've done walks where we're looking at ibises, um, loads of really cool stuff, looking at microbats. But the last one that they're doing is one, my personal favourite and it's a walk along the Cooks River um, with Uncle Jimmy, who's a Wiradjuri man, and he is talking about um, like Aboriginal connection and e- ecology and like the use of the plants around the Cooks River. 
Um, and the second part of that day will be run by Peter Joy, who's also a Wiradjuri woman, and she's going to be doing weaving with plants like lamandra and things that we'd find around the Cooks River as well. So there's loads of different plants and species that do happen um, and do exist across Australia, and we'll be using those different techniques mm. and looking at Aboriginal connection, which is really cool. So that isn't on our website yet, but that will be – it's like the 4th of May, so quite soon, yeah. but look on the website and you'll be able to find it. Easy. Then yeah. when you say look on the website, the Wild World in the West. Did you get that, everybody? <laughs> Good. If you're inner West people, there might be a few inner West people listening. Maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> awesome. Right. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, All right. Here we go. Here's some music. That was Down to Earth. Always great.